please remain standing for the reading of God's Word from Galatians chapter 5, verses 7 to 15. Galatians 5, 7 to 15. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. That's God's word for God's people today. You may be seated and let's pray once again and ask for God's help. So, Father, we confess that we do need you. That you are our only hope. That you are our defense and our righteousness. And so we pray that you would give us eyes to see our need the grace we need to humble ourselves, the strength we need to run the race, your protection so that we are not hindered, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that we might live by faith in love. Do these things, we pray, for the glory of your name. Amen. Uh, there are two kinds of people in the world. Those who like running and those who know it's stupid. Right? <laughs> Sorry, my mom always told me never to say stupid, so if that's your rule, I just broke it, but you know, we'll use the word dumb. Running is dumb, right? And I'm in that group and would choose almost any other exercise to running. Uh, Dan Cummings, one of the former pastors here at Five Points, loved to run and often invited me, even though he knew I hated it, along for the marathons uh, that he would train for, which was, I think, just a joke. He was playing jokes on me. He knew I didn't like running, let alone going to run a marathon. But I took him up a few times, but I rode my bike alongside him as he pounded out the miles. I mean, because running is hard. Right? It's hard on your back. It's hard on your knees. It's hard on your ankles. It's hard on your feet. It's hard on your lungs. And it takes great endurance to finish well. And that's why the Bible often says the Christian life is like running a race. Because real faith is more than just knowing. It's more than just sitting around and talking. It's more than just knowing the right things and being able to say the right things. Real life, or excuse me, real faith is lived out by the gracious help of the Holy Spirit over the long haul of the long years of your life. And to finish this race well, we must run through hardship with great endurance, taking no shortcuts. And so our passage this morning shows us how to do just that by teaching us three things about running this race. To run the race and finish it, we must run with perseverance. We must run through persecution. And we must run with love. To finish the race, we must run with perseverance, through persecution, and with love. So first, run with perseverance. Look at verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. 
And so in order to finish our race well and run with perseverance, verses 7 to 9 give us three ways to run with perseverance. The first thing is to know that coming to faith in Jesus is not the end of our journey, but the beginning of a lifelong race. And we far too often forget that the gospel isn't just the start of the Christian life. It's the, the road we live on, uh, run on. It's the way we walk on. It's the pathway of the Christian life as well. And this may seem really elementary, but we must know what we're actually doing so that we can be prepared for it. I remember years ago, a friend invited me and a couple other guys, uh, one of whom had a truck, and that guy was specifically asked to drive us in the truck to watch football and eat pizza. Of course, we were all in for football and pizza. But upon arriving, he asked us for our help with a few things before the pizza arrived. And before I knew it, the next thing I know, I'm in the middle of moving furniture out of his place. Now, I should have known. I mean, he was specifically asking us to drive a truck, and I knew he was moving soon. But I found myself unprepared, walking backwards down the steps, in sandals, holding the end of a couch, trying not to trip and kill myself. But unlike my friend, the Bible is very upfront about what we're getting into. I mean, our believing the gospel isn't the finish line. The gospel is the starting gun for the race to the finish line. And it's uh, far too often that we forget as we're living that we're actually running a race, a lifelong race. So brothers and sisters, to run with perseverance, you must remember every day that you're running a lifelong race. The second thing to know in order to run with perseverance is that our running is by the Spirit. It's by the Spirit, not by our works. Paul says you were running well. Just like he said in chapter 3 that they had started by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, by the Holy Spirit alone. But after starting well, they've stumbled by trying to run in the power of their own flesh. And this happened when false teachers hindered them in obeying the truth. Hindered them in obeying the truth. That word hindered means to cut in. To cut in. I don't know if you've ever been cut off on I-75. You're like, yes, this morning I was. and I had to st Or, you know, uh, if you have ever seen this footage, it's pretty uh, amazing. There was drone footage of the first stage of the Tour de France in June 2021. And there was someone in the crowd right alongside the road where all these bikers were coming along. They had made a sign. I don't know what it said. It was in French, but they were trying to get it on TV. And when the Peloton came around the corner and the cameras were right there uh, in the back of the truck uh, in front of the um, Peloton, when the truck passed, they went like this and stuck it out into the road to try and get on TV. And a biker hit the sign and crashed. And you can see the drone footage. It's pretty unbelievable. When that first one goes down, there, it, everyone went down behind them. A massive pileup in the road. Now that word hindered is just like that. The false teachers had similarly cut in front of the Galatians as they were running their race with a justification by works gospel. And so rather than continuing as they began, the Galatians are hindered from obeying the truth of the gospel. And that phrase is often used in relation to the gospel. Paul talks about the obedience of faith several times in his letter to Romans, as does 1 Peter and the author of Hebrews. Now, it's not an obedience that results in or earns salvation 
Obeying the truth is obeying the truths of the gospel and obedience to the truths of the gospel. In other words, obeying the truth means to recognize, to admit God's holiness and our sinfulness. It's to know that there's nothing we deserve but judgment in light of those things. It's also to be humbly in awe that in spite of that, in God's great mercy, he accomplished the salvation of sinners in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so all people everywhere are then commanded to repent of sin and turn to faith in Jesus. So it's in that sense that we obey the truth. We obey the truth when we empty our hands of anything we can do in light of the good news of the gospel and cling to Jesus. We don't do anything to earn our salvation. It's an obedience to the truths of the gospel. And so we run with perseverance when we daily recognize that there's nothing we can do to merit salvation. There's, there's only the call to remain vigilant against anyone or anything that tempts us away from full reliance on the Holy Spirit to live by faith in Jesus. And so, brothers and sisters, we don't run the race in order to be saved. We run the race because we have been saved. We run, the, we run the race because we're obeying the truths of the gospel from beginning to end. And just as we began our race when the Holy Spirit and not us gave us life in Jesus, so we run with perseverance as the Spirit keeps our eyes fixed on Jesus. Which leads then to the third way we run with perseverance. We run with perseverance by getting feisty with false gospels. We, we got to get feisty with false gospels at times. When we're confronted with a way of living that takes our eyes off of Jesus, then we must adamantly reject it. That's why verse 9 says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It kind of seems out of place, but Paul's just saying that we must not let even the littlest thing into our lives that tempts us away from Jesus. We can't let even some dust come in because it's going to ruin everything. A little leaven gets through the whole uh, lump of dough. So we can't let anything into our lives that tempts us to live by works and not on full reliance of Jesus in faith. And this ties back to chapter 4 when Paul wrote about whose spiritual children we are, Sarah or Hagar's, and that we must cast out the slave woman and her children. He's saying, don't let it happen. Adamantly reject it. Get feisty with it. Don't live uh, enslaved to works. Fight hard to live in the freedom of faith by the Holy Spirit's power. Stand firm against false gospels by not giving them an inch. And get feisty with them. Call them out and drive them away. Now, that's not the only way we get feisty, though. I mean, some of us like to get feisty, but we're just always feisty with other people. We like to, Paul says, contend for the gospel. Well, some of us just like being contentious. But that's not what Paul's calling us to here. We don't just uh, be feisty with others. We need to get feisty with ourselves, too. We don't just fight against false gospels. We must also hold fast daily to the true gospel. Get feisty with ourselves when we're tempted away. Tell yourself, no. Like, soul, find your life in Jesus. We see that all over the Psalms. 
Preach the gospel to yourself daily and hold fast to the truth of the gospel. Namely, in the context of Galatians, that's the fact that we didn't do anything to be justified, to sing about the grace that we've been singing about all morning, that it was all of grace. That's why verse 8 points out that it's God who called us from slavery into freedom. We loved our chains. We were happily enslaved to ourselves and our sin in the flesh. It was God who called us from death to life, all by grace through faith in Jesus. And he didn't call you. He didn't just say, oh, hey, wake up. Don't you see the chains? Now do something about it. No, he didn't just call us to work for our salvation, but rather called us to life in Jesus. And it's as we revel in that glorious gospel that we'll find ourselves more alert when false gospels stick their sign in front of us and try to knock us down. And so, my fellow elders of Five Points, this is actually one of our great tasks. And people of Five Points, this is one of the elders' great tasks. To serve God's people at Five Points so they persevere and finish their race as well. Now, this is not against the doctrine of grace that said it's God's preserving grace that gets us to the end. God preserves his people by giving them the grace to persevere. So that's why these two calls are often in the Bible. Yes, we recognize it's God who preserves his people. But how does he do that? He gives us the grace to run our race well, to persevere in it. And so elders, we're not primarily programmers. We're not primarily decision makers. But we are under shepherds of the flock of our chief shepherd, Jesus. And so we must know this flock well so that we're aware when someone is not running well when someone has knocked down the peloton all around us. We have to come alongside the flock and get them back in the race. And so we must be there when someone hinders them from running the race in the gospel. And we can't do that from afar. There's no such thing as armchair elders. And so we guard the church from false gospels and guide the church in the true gospel. And so everyone that's a member of Five Points has a specific elder who's supposed to be contacting them regularly. You probably know this. And so get back with us so we can know when, when we contact you, when we call or email or write or text or see you on a Sunday and we ask you, hey, how can I be praying for you? It's not just the Christian way of greeting you on Sunday. Like, that's what we just do on Sundays. No, we want to know so that we can know how your race is going so that we can encourage you. And so, brothers and sisters, the start of your race isn't as important as the end of it. The start of your race is not as important as the end of it. We see this throughout the Bible. The Bible is littered with stories of those who started their race well, but ended in disaster. And so, not only must you get to know us elders and our elders to be walking with you, but you too have the responsibility to preach to yourself the gospel every day every morning and run with perseverance the race set before you from the God who called you to live in the freedom of the true gospel. And as you do that, as we encourage you, as you're running your race well, as you keep persevering in the race, when we live in the true freedom of that gospel race, we will face persecution. We will face persecution. So secondly, to, run, to finish the race well, we must run through persecution. Our races will take us through persecution, and we must run through it. 
It seems the false teachers claim that Paul preached justification by works in other places on his journey, and he just left it out in Galatia or other places where Gentiles lived. And we don't know the exact accusation, but they either said Paul didn't preach the whole gospel in Galatia before he left. Remember, he hadn't even planned on being uh, in Galatia in the first place, so something happened, whether it was an illness most likely, that had, uh, had him stop off in Galatia to get better. So he must have either, there's, either they're accusing of his, he'd not preached the whole gospel before he got back on his journey, or that he wanted to make it easier for Gentiles to believe in Jesus, so he left off things like circumcision and feasts and food laws. But Paul refutes those accusations by saying if he still preached circumcision, why was he constantly being persecuted? And the word persecuted here is the same word Paul used in chapter 1 when he said that before God saved him, he tried to destroy the church. He persecuted the church and their gospel. But the persecutor has become the persecuted. And he says that's the case because everywhere I go, I preach the cross of Jesus Christ. The preaching of Jesus' sacrificial and substitutionary and sufficient life and death on the cross as the only way God saves sinners, that brings persecution because there's nothing more offensive to the human heart than to hear we're insufficient to the task. You can go down right now and remember what it was like to be a child down and rooted. And you'll hear, I'll do it. I do it. No one teaches their two-year-old to say, me, 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 I, I, I. It's innate within us. And from the earliest days as children saying those things to the more sophisticated methods of adult self-sufficiency, we recoil from the humility it takes to recognize that the very thing we need most is the very thing we cannot accomplish. The cross of Jesus Christ is scandalous. It's offensive because it demands we humble ourselves in repentance, in repentance of our sin and in repentance of our attempts to save ourselves, to help God out with the task. And so the scandal of the cross is that the only thing we bring to the entire salvation process is the sin we need saving from. That's, that's all we got in this thing. We just need to be saved. And we can't do anything to help it happen, to make it happen, to assist in it happening. We just muck it up all the time. That's scandalous. It's, it's scandalous to say that God planned it. God sent his son to accomplish it. His son did accomplish it in his life and death and resurrection. And God calls sinners by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, by the Holy Spirit alone, to unite us to the only thing that can save us. And so preaching is really easy if you don't preach the alones. It's, it, people love it when you don't preach any of the alones because it removes the scandal of the cross. It leaves off the offensive part that we sinners would face the curse our sin deserves unless the triune God alone accomplished the salvation of sinners. And every other gospel leaves sinners in sin and death because we can't do it. It's the impossible mountain. But proclaiming that and living that will bring persecution. It might come in various ways in our times. 
but it's still persecution. We might face the heat, however hot it might get in our time and in our culture, but we'll face heat nonetheless. And so Paul gives us two encouragements in these verses to run through persecution, not away from it. First, we're to be bold when persecution comes. To run through persecution, Paul encourages us to be bold. That's what Paul is in verse 12 when he says he wishes those preaching circumcision would just cut theirs all off. It's a graphic picture. Very fun to talk about on Mother's Day, I know. But Paul doesn't shy away from preaching Jesus when the going gets tough. Now again, he's getting feisty with false gospels, but he's not out there looking for it. He, he, he's, he, he didn't ask for this fight. He didn't go looking for persecution. But when it came, neither did he run away from it. When the gospel's at stake, that's how we know to be bold. When the gospel's at stake, not our reputations, not our preferences, but the gospel. When the gospel's at stake, be bold. Because there are no detours in the race God sets before us. And there's no shortcuts to the finish line either. So run through persecution, and we can be bold in it. We don't have to whine or fear, because we see Paul here entrusting himself to God. You're like, God set this race before me. He's, he knows what's happening. I can run through this. I don't have to run away from it or around it. I'm going to trust myself and proclaim the gospel truth. And he boldly says that trying to get right with God through works cuts you off fully from the only hope of salvation. That's, that's the picture Paul's really trying to get at. He's like, if, if you try to go the route of works, just know that you cut yourself off fully from your only hope of salvation. And that message, because it's scandalous, will bring persecution. And when trials or suffering come into our lives, we so quickly can doubt God, can't we? We so quickly wonder, does God know? What's he do? What? Why is he doing this? Does he even know what's going on? Maybe God abandoned me. Maybe... Maybe I'm alone in this. But persecution isn't the result of God abandoning you. It's one way God keeps his people relying on Jesus. That's why Paul, in the midst of this persecution, throws himself upon Jesus, preaches the gospel, holds fast to the gospel. Jesus is his only hope. Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. And he's living it out in front of us. Because he knows persecution isn't God abandoning him, but God driving him into deeper dependence upon him. And so, brothers and sisters, when trials or persecution arise, run boldly through persecution, not away from it. And we can run boldly through it because of Paul's second encouragement. Look at verse 10. In verse 10, uh, he says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. So we can be confident in the Lord. Be bold when persecution comes and be confident in the Lord. Run confidently through persecution because God will not lose anyone he calls. The persecution will not separate you from God. Run confidently through persecution when the gospel's at stake because nothing can stop the work God began in you through his spirit and his son. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So run through persecution, not confident in your abilities, but confident in our sovereign, saving God. And Paul's not only confident that God will bring the Galatians through this 
trial to the truth of the gospel, he's also confident that God will bring judgment upon every gospel opponent. He's confident, not just in the Lord, but that the Lord will bring judgment upon gospel opponents. Those who peddle false gospels and trouble Jesus' church will pay the penalty. They will. And so we can entrust ourselves, God, in the present when we rely on God's ability to bring judgment in the future. And that confidence frees us from wringing our hands in anxiety or fear. It, it frees us from acting out in vengeance against those who persecute us. And we don't have to fret or get angry or respond uh, with vengeance because God's going to use every circumstance we face for our ultimate good. He has a purpose in the persecution, which means nothing we face is outside God's control. So nothing we face comes to us without passing through his loving hands. And so when our confidence is the God who never fails to accomplish every one of his purposes, and we're free to have nothing to fear. Because we have nothing to fear, even in the most fearful times. So we can be bold and have confidence in God as we run through persecution. And so five points. Pray for the grace to finish the race that the Lord has set before each of us by faithfully fixing our eyes on Jesus and standing firm in the gospel, even when our race takes us through persecution. Because when you stand for the gospel, there are times when your race will go through persecution. But how can we be faithful in that? What does faithful living look like? Well, to finish our race well, then we must thirdly run with love. Thirdly run with love. Look at verses 13 to 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Five points. The, the threat of losing gospel freedom persists in every age. That's why we, we still need Galatians today to remind ourselves of the greatness of our God, the greatness of his salvation, in spite of the greatness of our sin. But the threat of losing our gospel freedom still persists today. But there's another threat, too, that we can't forget about. There's the opportunity to abuse the freedom we have in Jesus. We can lose our gospel freedom and we can also abuse our gospel freedom. And Jesus freed us from the demands of the law, but our freedom is never an excuse to flout the law and live in sin. It's the freedom to live in loving service of one another. And that flies in the face of our day, doesn't it? Especially in the West, when we hear the word freedom, we think it means free from any constraint. We're free to be and choose to live however we want. But that's just another kind of slavery. That's being enslaved to the flesh. 
the, the sinful passions of the flesh. That makes us children of wrath, not children of God. And so true freedom is living the way God intended life to be lived. That's true freedom. Living life the way God intended life to be lived. That's why verse 14 says the law is fulfilled when we love our neighbors as ourselves. Now that doesn't mean that you must love in order to not face the curse of the law if you fail. Notice Paul doesn't use other verbs he's used in the letter, like do or keep. He doesn't say loving the law is doing the law. He doesn't say loving is you keeping the law because Jesus already did and kept the law perfectly. He kept the whole law fully. And by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, you're counted righteous in Jesus. You're already, you've already done it in Jesus. The perfect righteousness of law keeping is yours in Jesus. So Paul doesn't say do the law and love one another in order to be saved, but rather our being saved frees us to love one another, which is the perfect fulfillment of the law. Because we've been freed from the present evil age and from our enslavement to sin, we now live in the freedom that's defined by one word. Love. Love. You see, friends, we, we were lawbreakers. We did everything that didn't fulfill the law. We were enslaved to ourselves and lived in sin. But by faith, we've been united to the law keeper who frees us to live life as God intended it to be lived. So we don't use our freedom to selfishly serve ourselves. We use our freedom to lovingly serve others. So to finish your race well, brothers and sisters, run with love for others. And we know what that's like because we know how to love ourselves. We know what it's like to love ourselves. And so we can love others. And verse 15 gives even greater clarity by telling us what love doesn't look like. Biting, devouring, and consuming. It's the opposite of love. Freedom isn't living however you want with no regard for others. Freedom doesn't think me first, no matter who I damage or gets left in the wake of my selfishly serving myself. Freedom is asking, how can I serve others for the glory of the one who lovingly served me by giving himself for me? The church is to be a place that not just knows that kind of love, sings that kind of love, talks that kind of love, answers that kind of love on the, the question sheet. The church are the kind of people who love others with the same love that loved us first. And that's why Jesus says in John 13, 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. When people walk in, they know this is the true church of Jesus. How? If we have all the right theology, we get dressed up in our Sunday best, if we feel really bad when we sin. No. When our eyes are on the one who loved us and frees us to love one another, that's how everyone will know Jesus' disciples. And you can know if you're on your way to finishing your race well, brothers and sisters, by answering a question. Do others find me life-giving or life-taking? 
Are, are you on the road to finishing your race well? Do I give life to others through loving service of them? Or am I a consumer of the life of others by using them in selfish service of myself? Am I life giving or am I life taking? And the freedom that comes from the faith that looks to Christ produces love that serves others. It's not just that you never think of yourself. It's that you think, how can I serve others? That's love. That's true freedom. And that order, true faith, then real love, is vitally important. It's not you do real love and then you're saved. It's God saves you. The Spirit grants you faith and unites you to the one who is true love. And then you really love others. Our loving God and others counts for nothing when it comes to our salvation. The only thing that counts on that front is faith in Jesus Christ alone. But, but the freedom of true faith in Christ looks like loving service of others. And I like how one commentator puts it. He says, one of the greatest paradoxes of the Christian faith is that true freedom is only found in service to others and Christ. Freedom is service of others and Christ. So friend, if, if you haven't found the freedom you long for in this world or in the many things it offers, may God be gracious to you by freeing you in the love of Jesus who promises life and joy to all who come to him. Just bring your burdens, bring your heavy, heavy laden, burdened soul, and I will give you rest. And he will cast no one out who comes to him. So come to Jesus with your sin and your chains, for he is the only one who can free you from them. And brothers and sisters, if we add anything, if we add anything to Jesus' substitutionary, sacrificial, and sufficient work to save sinners, we will lose gospel freedom. We cannot lose the centrality of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Because if we do, we lose gospel freedom. But if our faith in Jesus doesn't produce love in us and through us for others, then we are abusers of gospel freedom. Jesus promised life and joy by loving us and giving himself for us. It's ours. And his people will love others in the same way. And so the way to not lose or abuse our gospel freedom is to fix our eyes daily on our loving Savior, Jesus. Because he was devoured by death so that we wouldn't be consumed by the death our sin deserves. He humbled himself in love by putting on flesh and becoming our servant as he went to the cross to save his people from the curse of the law and set us free. Free to love both God and our neighbor. And so five points let us live in the freedom of Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. 
And let us live in that freedom by loving one another as we have first been loved. Let's pray. Father, we're about to come to a table. whose elements are symbols of divine love. But they're elements of divine loving service. Just as Jesus' body was broken, this bread is torn and given to us so that we might feast because we have been served. It's a cup symbolizing blood but blood that was shed. It was poured out for us so that we who were broken might be healed. We who were sinners might know grace and righteousness that is now ours because of how we've been served. And so I pray that as these elements are passed, that you would give us a renewed sense of what that love is and what it does in us and through us for the sake of the glory of your name among our neighbors and the nations. Help us see not just bread and juice, but how we have been served in love and that we might love others in the same way. For the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen.